before we get into the specifics of giving back to God and what that looks like, let me spend a little bit of time uh, addressing the issue of Old Testament giving and New Testament giving. Are they separate? Are they the same? What's the difference here? We first get the idea of giving back to God from the Old Testament. God commanded his people to give back to him. His people were the Israelites, and he commanded them to give him the tithe. Does anybody know what percentage of somebody's income a tithe is? Does anybody know? Come on, you all know. What is it, Chuck? 10% is the tithe, okay? Now, the yes and no. We're going to check things out here. Of what is. You see, in Numbers 18, 21 through 24, 10% of somebody's income was to be given to the Lord for the Levites and the priests to provide for their means and their needs. All the other tribes and peoples were given lands and homes to work and to earn money. The Levites and the priests were not. And so 10% was given to supply for their need. They're giving it to the Lord to supply for them. But that didn't, it didn't stop there. They were also in Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 27, 27 to give 10% of their income at the festival, at the three festivals that they had, the Feast of Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Tabernacles. You give another 10%. So you got a 10% and another 10%. How much is that? 20% of their income was given. When their first tithe, it was grains, fruits, vegetables, livestock, 10% of all that you took in, you give. And that fed and took care of the priests and Levites. This other 10%, that's an offering to the Lord at the feasts. Well, then in Deuteronomy 14, 28, every third year, they were to give another 10%. That was for the widows and the orphans and any other Levites that where the needs had fallen or the, the giving had fallen short. So if you add that all up, that's an average of 23 and a third percent a year was the real tithe commanded by God in the Old Testament to give. That's Old Testament giving. The very last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. That was written about 400 years before Christ. God's people had followed God, wandered from him, worshipped other gods through Moses' time, through Joshua and the judges' times, through the king's times, and then because of their wandering from God, God took them, he, he gave them over to be conquered by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, they went into exile into Assyria and Babylonia, and then around 440-ish B.C., they came back to the land. They rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt the temple, and they stopped following false gods. That's part of the context here. And then in Malachi 3, God said to them, I, the Lord, do not change. In other words, um, I've protected you through your times of wandering with Moses, wanderings with the judges, wanderings with the kings. While you're in exile, I do not change. I've protected you. So you, O descendants of Jacob, you're not destroyed. I've protected you. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. You followed other gods all this time. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. First of all, He's talking about repentance here. That's a beautiful word because we wander from God, from Christ from time to time, and he welcomes us back. We can return to him, and he will return to us. Now, he's saying you're, he's telling them to return, and 
decades, we returned to the promised land. We're back here. We rebuilt the temple. We, re we rebuilt the wall. What are you talking about? And he said, you ask, how are we to return? And his answer in verse 8 is, will a man rob God, yet you robbed me? Well, then they're asking, wait a minute. How do we rob you? Everything is yours. How can we, we, we rob you? And then he answered, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation is under a curse because you are robbing from me. You are not giving to me that 23 and a third percent. Maybe they were just doing 10%. Maybe they were just doing 20%, and they were forgetting every third year to do that, that extra tithe. We don't know. Then the Lord told them, bring the whole tithe, the whole 23 and a third percent into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? In the temple, they had special rooms along the temple where they would store all the grains, the fruits, the vegetables, the, all the different produce from the tithe so that the Levites could live off of that, that produce and that food. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will ha not have room enough for it. So we've heard pastors, maybe you've heard pastors for many years teach that we today are to follow this Old Testament model of giving. And maybe you've heard like I did, pastors teach that this storehouse that we just read about, this storehouse, that storehouse is the church. Bring to the storehouse, bring to the church, because the storehouse is where you get fed. And I've heard him say, well, if you're getting spiritually fed at church, that's what the storehouse is. But that's wrong. The storehouse wasn't for the people. The storehouse was for the Levites. That's an erroneous teaching of God's word. And if they would say, you're supposed to bring that 10% to the church, to the storehouse, that's wrong again because it's not 10%. It's 23 and a third. The full tithe is 23 and a third percent, not that 10%. And you, maybe you've heard people say, then God will open the floodgates of blessing and pour so of, of heaven and pour so much blessing, you won't have enough. And they'll say, if, if you bring your 10% to the church, then God will bless you. And there's even different, different plans that churches have that if you, don't, if you bring 10%, God will give you a 90-day money-back guarantee of if God doesn't bless you and promise that to you. And people will say even that Jesus endorses. They'll say in Matthew 23, 3, where Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Part of the problem here is the law did not require a tithe of the mint, dill, and cumin. It required fruit, vegetables, pro, the, the grains, the, the livestock. So what the Pharisees were doing is they were adding to the law. We're so righteous. We're going to tithe on even more than we're supposed to. And Jesus was noticing that. He says, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. You're ignoring the law, and you're adding to the, and you're adding to the law you know, in a different way. Uh, the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And maybe you've heard pastors say, Jesus endorsed the tithe. What Jesus was doing here is he was criticizing the hypocrisy of self-righteous Jewish leaders. He was telling them that they, you self-righteous Jewish leaders, go ahead and do your things outside the law, but you better obey these more important things of the law. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to
to do this, he told those Pharisees to do what they were doing. He never told his disciples to observe this 23 and a third percent tithe. He didn't. The Jewish dietary laws, the Jewish ceremonial laws, the Jewish sacrificial laws, and these giving laws are all part of an old Jewish covenant. We've been given a new covenant. We still have the moral law from the Old Testament, but not these other laws that we live under. We've converted to Christ a new covenant. We have not converted to, to Judaism. Now, does the Old Testament apply today to us? Yes, absolutely. We have the moral law. We're called to live righteously, and the Ten Commandments are God's specific ways that we can live righteously. All the Old Testament stories, the wisdom literature, the history, the, the prophecy, it's all true. And the Old Testament points to Christ. It prepares for Christ. It promises Christ. And we've said before that many of the incidents foreshadow God's redemptive plan. We can learn how to live from the example of many Old Testament leaders. We can learn how not to live from the bad example of many Old Testament leaders. The Old Testament is for us today, but teaching that Malachi 3 is instructing people under the new covenant to give 10%, remember the tithe, the whole tithe is 23 and a third, that's faulty. The storehouse is not the church. 10% is not the whole tithe. We do, however, in the New Testament, learn how to give back to God. And we're going to spend the rest of today uh, looking at that from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, the context of 2 Corinthians 9, the church in Corinth was started by the Apostle Paul around 50 A.D. In 55 A.D., he wrote this second letter to them, 2 Corinthians. He was at this time living in Galatia, writing to Corinth, and he was writing about taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem church was the original church. They were undergoing persecution and suffering. And so all these different churches that Paul had started and other people had started were taking up an offering to help that church. Let's pick up here in 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 15. Paul says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. What is this service to the saints? It's this offering that they're taking. Why did Paul say, I don't need to write to you about this? Well, he didn't need to write it to, the, write to them because he'd already written to them about it in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at that real quick. In 1 Corinthians, maybe a year or so before he wrote this second book, Paul said, now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Remember, Paul was in Galatia at this time. Do what I told them to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. So we get some principles here. We meet the first day of the week, Sunday, and people can give to God on a Sunday. We've got our offering box back there, just like they did, setting aside a sum of money in keeping with their income. So there's a, and we'll talk about this a little bit, there's a proportional giving, depending on income level, how much people give. Verse 3, then Paul said, when I arrive, I'm going to come to pick up the offering. I'll give letters of introduction to the men who you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go along, uh, 
also, they will accompany me. Why did he throw that in there? The idea of him going along and they accompanying him? Because it's, it's not a one-man job. It's not a one-person job. There needed to be accountability in handling God's money. And we want you to know at, at Freedom Bible Church, we have accountability in handling the money. Uh, I, as a pastor, I don't know what anybody gives. We think that's important, that our leaders, uh, our, our bookkeeper knows, and that's it. And it's important that the bookkeeper, who's ever our treasurer or bookkeeper, is not related in any way to the pastor of the church. It's all secret. The pastor of the church, the elders of the church, have no check-writing capabilities or authority for the church. Um, How do we land on our budget? Our elder team recommends a budget, and our members vote on that budget to affirm that budget. There's accountability built in, just like Paul did. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9. Remember, Paul said, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. Verse 2 then says, for I know your eagerness to help. You have an attitude of eagerness. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm have stirred most of them to action. So, your enthusiasm to give has been infecting other people, and they're enthusiastic and eager to give. Now, let's orient ourselves geographically for a second. Paul's in Galatia. This is where he's writing from, and there's churches that they started there, Colossae, Ephesus, and other places. He's writing to Corinth, and he has said they're in the region of Achaia. Their generosity, their eagerness to give has influenced the churches in Macedonia, and they're all giving to the church in Jerusalem. So what Paul's going to do is come and take a collection. So they're going to go collect from all the churches and then finally probably sail to Jerusalem to give this gift as people have been giving back to the Lord. Now this offering's a big deal. They're going to great effort to collect it. Did you see all those miles that they would have to travel? Uh, there's a, a big effort to collect, a big effort to distribute. Verse 3. But I'm sending the brothers in order, and he's sending uh, Titus. 2 Corinthians 8 says that Titus is the guy coming. I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting, they're boasting about it. We're proud of you guys, he's saying. We're proud because you're giving, your eagerness to give, that's evidence of your maturity. That's evidence of your faithfulness in handling God's money wisely, what he's entrusting to you. We're boasting about you. We're proud of you. Uh, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians came with me and find you unprepared, well, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of of having been uh, so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements of this generous gift that you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So he's writing to them, letting them know ahead of time, hey, we're going to be coming to collect that. Remember what you did. You're going to collect the first day of the week. It'll all be ready. You won't be scrambling at the last minute, giving grudgingly at that point. Verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want to just a time out for a second here. What's the good work he's talking about? He's saying this is a good work, you guys collecting and giving back to God. That's a good work. And guess what? God will graciously provide for your needs as you're doing this good work of giving back to him. Verse 9, as it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. In other words, God is entrusting this to you. He's giving his good gifts to you. Verse 10, now he, talking about God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he's talking about your physical needs, God provides for our physical needs, will also supply and increase your store of seed, physical needs, and will enlarge your harvest, your spiritual prosperity. Now, God is telling them, I'm going to supply your needs, and as you give, sometimes I'm going to increase your physical possessions. And and we're going to see in a moment why he does that. But he's saying, you're going to benefit from this spiritually. When you give, you're going to benefit spiritually. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way. So you're going to be, if, if you have, if God provides more money for you, it is so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us right now, taking this offering, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Just want to just make a quick mention. Giving to God is not a get-rich-quick scheme. God says, you give to me, and I'm going to bless you and give you more than you could imagine. Sometimes he does. And if he does, it's why? So that we can give more, so that we can be more generous. I had breakfast a couple months ago with a guy, a retired guy, who owned his own business. And he said every year in his business, God would give him more clients. And as God gave him more clients and more income, he would give more of it away. And he said, every year, without fail, God gave me more clients, I gave more away, and then he supplied more the next year. And it wasn't supplied so that he could go out and buy a bigger house, buy a bigger car. It was supplied so he could give more away. So when God is generous to us because of our generosity to him, it's so that we can be generous again and give more because we've proven ourselves faithful in handling his resources. Does that always happen? Not always, where you have more and more and more, but when he gives us more, it's so that we can give more. Does that make sense? So when we are generous, God gets the credit. It results in thanksgiving to him. Verse 12, this service that you perform, this offering, is not only supplying for the needs of God's people, but also it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God, so that when you give, you're thanking God. You give, other people thank God. You give, you thank God for, the, for the, the, the opportunity to give back to him. You thank him because he's given to you first. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. God gets the thanks. God gets the praise. And in their prayers for you, They will pray for you. Their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
And what is this indescribable gift? The gift is the ability to give to him. That's what he's praising him for. That's what the context is. The gift that God has given us is the ability to give back to him. So we have established that the Old Testament system of the tithe, the 23 and a third percent, that's not our New Testament template for giving back to God. What is that template? Let's get specific about it and and see some things from this passage. First of all, I think uh, that you may have read or heard me read the word generous more than a few times. In fact, uh, it was seven times in these 15 verses in 2 Corinthians 9. Verses 5 and 6, their gift, giving back to God, was two times described as generous. New Testament giving is, first of all and foremost, done generously. Why do we give back to God generously? Because he has first given to us generously. Uh, This picture has two meanings to it. First, we receive generously from God with open hands. And then we give generously back to God with open hands. We're not clutching to the things or clinging to the things that he's entrusted to us because those things really belong to him. And if he says, I want you to do this with it, we can do that with it. The opposite of generously and generosity in in verse 5 is the word grudgingly. Give generously, not grudgingly. Generous giving is when I say, God, I'm giving this back to you, and I wish I could give more. That's generous giving. Grudgingly is when they say, God, I'm giving this to you, but I wish I could keep it because there's stuff I want to do with it. That's grudgingly versus generously. And this all starts with the idea that God is a generous giver. He is our model. He is our pace setter for generous giving. And you'll find that when you give generously, your hands will be open to receive generously. And remember, when we receive generously, it's so that, again, we can be generous with what God has entrusted to us. So we give back to God generously. We also give back to God willingly. Verse 7 says each person should give not reluctantly or under compulsion. Instead, give willingly. Notice that Paul nowhere ordered people to give. He rather gave them an opportunity, not an order, to give. He did not manipulate or or coerce people to give uh, so that they'd feel obligated to Paul, but rather give willingly to God. You notice one of the things we do here at Freedom, and it's on purpose, is we don't pass an offering plate. Because a lot of times when that plate comes by, you feel obligated. Like, oh, people are watching me. I better put something in. We take that away, and so people can give willingly. You can give before the service, after the service. Uh, You could skip a week. You could give online. It's done willingly. We don't want to put pressure or feel obligated. We want it to be willingly giving back to God the way that he wants me to. And, And this idea of giving willingly goes hand in hand with giving thoughtfully. Verse 7 says each one should uh, give what he or she has decided in their hearts to give. So I give thought to it. I'm uh, preparing for it. I'm not just pulling out the wallet and saying, okay, what do I have in here? Throw something in. It's I'm thinking through ahead of time. uh, What does God want me to give? And this idea of giving thoughtfully goes hand in hand with giving prayerfully. 
we ask God, what do you want me to give back to you? It's your money. What do you want me to give? And there's two questions that we really need to answer here. First of all, how much? God, how much do you want me to give? It's your money. You've entrusted it to me. What, what, what's the amount? And then also the second question is, to whom? To whom do we give? We've got different options because, remember, the storehouse isn't the church thing, but we should give to the church and support the ministry of the church. So that we've got the options of how much to the church. Are there missionaries that we want to support? Is there a special ministry that we want to support? So we ought to ask God, put thought to it and prayer to it. Uh, we'll talk about the amount in a little bit, but who we give to has eternal ramifications. Think about this. Who we give God's money to, what we spend money on, has eternal ramifications. Is it going to be wasted or is it going to be used for his kingdom? We give thoughtfully and prayerfully. We can't give randomly or haphazardly. We've got to ask the question, what were some of Jesus' last words on planet Earth? He told his people, go and make disciples. That's our thing. At Freedom Bible Church, that's our thing. We want to make disciples who know Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. That's what he told us to do. That's the, the, the purpose of the church. As a church, we support missionaries. We've got two of them right now, Alyssa Soy and Michael Titus. Both of them are disciple makers, proven disciple makers. We will only give God's money to people who are doing, uh, making disciples like Jesus. If there is a church or a ministry that is not making disciples and I give money to that, my question is what, what rewards will I have in heaven giving to something that's not doing what Jesus told it to do? But if, a, a, if I give to a church or a ministry that is making disciples and their disciples are making more disciples, then there will be multiplied rewards in heaven. Imagine this for a second. If I were to walk into a bank, tell the, the, the bank employee, I'm looking to start a, a retirement account. They said, oh, Mr. Zaborowski, we're glad that you're here. We've got a couple different options for retirement accounts. Let's sit down. Here's option A. Option A is you can put money in this account, and it's going to give you a 0% return on your money. So in 20 years when you're ready to retire, you're going to earn 0% interest. I'm like, I might as well just bury that in the backyard. Then they said, well, we've got this other option. Don't, don't get hasty. This other option is you can put money in this account, and in 20 years you'll get a 10% you know, return account every year on that. And so you can expect this amount of money and interest to accrue. And I'm like, there's not even a choice here. Why? I'm going to put my money in what's going to give me the best return on, re on retirement or on re return on investment. When I invest in a ministry that's not doing what Jesus told it to do and making disciples, what kind of return on that investment can I expect in eternity, in that eternal retirement, rather than giving to the ministries that are giving a return on that investment by making disciples who are making more and more disciples? When we give, we need to put prayer and thought in our giving back to God. What do you want me to do with your money? Where do you want me to give it back to you? Well, what about how much to give? Uh, is it 10%? We've already said it's not 10%. Is there a percentage? Well, Paul said 
that disciples of Christ give proportionally. Those who have more, give more. Those who have less, give less. We didn't read chapter 8, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, now finish the work of taking this offering, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Are you following this? So the amount of your gift is acceptable to God depending on your willingness according to your means, what you have, not based on what you don't have. So each person gives according to what God has provided for them first. Paul did not say, hey, when I come, I want everybody here, everybody in the church, to give $200. Because if you do that, that'll help, that'll provide for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. He said, no, some of you, you, some of you don't have that amount of means. Some of you have more than that amount of means. And think about the percentage, too, if we go by a 10% thing. Um, I've got, uh, my mom's a widow. She's 80 years old. She's on a fixed income. And you know that a lot of times, there's no retirement account, there's no pension involved in that, it's just Social Security. And if you know people on that, that's a, that's a low amount. So let's imagine, and I don't know what the amount is, let's imagine person A has an income of $20,000 a year. And if they give 10%, that's $2,000, that's $18,000 to live on, that's their means. Person B makes $100,000 a year. They give 10%. That's 10,000. It's like, man, that's a lot more. They're giving a lot. Well, that means they've got 90,000 left to live on. That's a lot more than person A. So person B can say, you know what? I can live on 80,000 instead of 90,000, and I can give 20%. So it's a different percentage. It's all based on giving proportionally according to your means. If you have more, you can give more. If you have little, maybe you can only give a little. But it's prayerful, and it's thought out, and it's asking the Father, what have you given to me so that I can give back to you? I don't want to be greedy and say, okay, this means I don't have to give as much to God. I want to be generous, not greedy. And what's my example here? Remember, my example is God himself. I want to be generous to you the way that you've been generous to me. And also, I want to be I want to give generously the way that I want to receive generously from you. So giving back to God is proportional. We give proportionally according to our means, but sometimes God may lead us prayerfully to give sacrificially too. Maybe the Lord wants me to sacrifice a want or a convenience to help someone else in their need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just before chapter 9 here, Paul was talking about the Macedonian church, and he said, out of the most severe trial, the Macedonian church, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, according to their means, and even beyond their ability. So this Macedonian church, they gave sacrificially. And maybe there's a time where God's asking one of us, or all of us, hey, I want you to give sacrificially right now. We are very uh, blessed, and I don't use that word lightly. We're blessed by God to have this building.
works out great. We thank God. We pray rent and utilities. When we started a church 15 years ago in Montana, we were renting a school, and we were paying $90 a week just to rent that school on Sunday mornings. So we were thankful for that. Well, after a couple years, the school said, you know, we don't want to keep doing this long term. So we found another location. We found, uh, and there wasn't many locations. We looked all over. We found a professional building right near the school, and it had a third floor that was vacant. And so they renovated the third floor for us. We had about 4,200 square feet, classrooms, worship center, and the rent for that 4,200 square feet, $5,000 a month. No kidding. And that was going to be like that for three years because they wrote into the cost of that, the cost to carpet, to renovate, to move walls, to put it all together for us, $5,000 a month. We don't make that as a church. Well, how in the world, as a new church just two years old, because that's what we are about right now. We're just about two and a half years old. Our church was two years old. How are we going to do that? Well, we said, hey, are people willing to give sacrificially for three years while we have this high rent for this time? So people got creative. Some people said, well, you know what? I stopped at the coffee shop, and I get a latte or a cappuccino or whatever people get at the coffee shops. I do that every day. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do that just once a week. I'm going to do that 50 times a year instead of 250 times a year. And that money from those other 200 cups of coffee that I was going to buy, I'm going to put that aside and give that back to God. I'm going to sacrifice a convenience. Other people said, you know what? I'm paying $100 a month for direct TV or cable TV. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just get an antenna for the next several years, and I'm going to sacrifice that, and I'm going to give that money to God. Some people said, oh, we look at our budget, and we're, we're eating out twice a week. What we're going to do is we're going to eat out just twice a month, and the money that we save from those other times eating out, we're going to give that back to God. Some people said, we go on vacation, and uh, it costs about $200 a day on vacation if you're staying in a hotel room and getting food. We're going to cut our vacation back just by one day. We're going to go away on vacation. That's fine to do. We're just going to cut one day, and then we're going to use that extra money and give that back to God. Those are examples of people giving sacrificially, where sometimes God will lead us uh, based on the model of Jesus who gave himself sacrificially so that we could have the riches of eternal life. Sometimes God will call us to give beyond our means for a season and give sacrificially. Next, New Testament given is also joyfully. Verse 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. This word cheerful means happy. It means joyous. It means I'm glad to give to God. I'm looking forward to give to God. I wish I could give more to God. A cheerful and a joyful giver is a Chick-fil-A type of giver. When I give to God, it's my pleasure. I really enjoy doing this, and I'm glad to do this. Uh, the opposite of, of this is stingy. I'm not a stingy giver. It's an attitude, man, I'm glad to give as much as I can and wish I could give more. And I'm glad that I know what I'm giving to God is impacting people and that he's getting the praise. People are thanking him for it. And I'm, I'm also glad because I'm honored that God is trusting me to provide for other people. I'm honored that God has supplied for me so that I can supply for others for his so when I give joyfully, it's knowing that God trusts me, and therefore, I'm giving back, tr 
trustingly. I'm giving back to him with trust. What do you mean with trust? Well, I trust that after I give to God, I can live on what remains. If he tells me to give this much, that leaves me with this much, and I'm trusting him that I can live and survive on this much that he's less that he's letting me keep. Giving generously can be risky, but I'm trusting God that he's going to be generous back to me and provide for me. I can't remember if I've told this story to you before. If I have, please forgive me for that. When I first got, before I got married, in uh, the fall of 1989, I had my first youth pastor job. It was not, it was a part-time job. It wasn't paying very much. I didn't have a lot of money. I remember after making my insurance payment, my car payment, and any other payments that I had, I had $95 left in my account. I had a, a volunteer youth worker who was a good friend of mine, very good friend of mine still to this day. He was newly married, and his wife was pregnant, and he just got laid off from his job. And I was talking to God about this, praying for him, praying for new, I need a new job. And I sensed God prompting me, hey, give him that $95 that you have. Hey, that's all I have. That's, that's, that's all I have in my bank account. He's like, well, whose money is it? Well, it's yours. Okay, do what I'm telling you to do. Okay. And so um, I didn't want to write a check because I wanted to be anonymous. I didn't want him to know it was me. So I got $95 out, and I put it in an envelope, and then I got a piece of paper and a magazine. And I cut out from the paper, like, letters, like a ransom note, because I didn't want them to recognize my hand. So it says, God told me to give this to you with this money, because I didn't want them to know it was me. So ransom note. So I put it in an envelope, put it in their mailbox, and then stepped on it. Got out of there. I can't remember if I burned tires, but I wanted to just to make it like a movie. So I got out of there. That night, I was speaking at a roller skating event for Youth for Christ. People would roller skate for an hour, and then they'd take a break, and then I'd speak from the Bible and share the gospel um, for 10 minutes and then roller skate some more. And after I got done speaking, they started the music up, the roller skate some more. My cousin came over to me. He's about five years older than me. Uh, we're a logging family. He runs a lumber mill and drives a log truck. And he came up to me. He said, hey, Joel, here, I want you to have this. God told me to give this to you. And I'm like, that's exactly what I just cut out of the ransom note. God told me to give this to you. And it was a check for $100. I had I just obediently gave, and then God provided back to me what I gave, and he gave me a little bit more. That helped me to trust him, that if I'm giving to him, even though I got $0, I'm trusting you, and then he provided back to me. So when I give to God, when I put the money in the box in the back or do it online, Say, Lord, um, I love you. I thank you for giving this to me. Um, I worship you because you're the God of all things and the giver of good gifts. But I'm giving this, and I'm also saying I trust you. I trust you to provide for me with whatever you've told me to have left. So New Testament giving for believers in Christ, followers, disciples of Christ, is generous. It's willing. It's thoughtful and prayerful. It's proportionate. It is sacrificial sometimes. It's joyful, and it's trusting. And when we give this way, there are results. There's results. First of all, according to 2 Corinthians 9, God is praised and thanked. In verses 11 through 15, 11 says, Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. People will thank God for what you give to him. Verse 12 says, 
your giving is, is supplying needs for God's people, and it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So when I'm giving, I'm thanking him. People will thank God because of you. You will thank God because he's allowed you to give. You know, at Christmas time, we do the shoeboxes, Operation Christmas Child. We're getting ready to do that again this year. When those kids open those boxes, they don't know you. They don't know who you are, who gave. Who are they thanking? They're thanking God. They're thanking God for you. I'm a, I'm not just a pastor. I'm a missionary with Sun Life Ministries. I've shared a little bit about that before. But I have a number of people who donate to me personally. And when I, every week or every month when those donations come in, I thank God for those people personally. As I see their names, I thank God for them. People will thank God for you. Verse 13 says, because of your service, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. People will praise God because you give. That's a result. And finally, verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And the gift is the ability to give back to him. So when we give, God gets thanked and praised when we give generously. Uh, why does he, um, why do we thank him? Let's just stop for a second and think about that. First of all, we thank him because first of all, he provided for us. We thank him for the initial provision. We thank him um, that he told us who to give to and how much to give. We thank him because he helped us to give obediently and generally. Uh, generously and maybe sacrificially and we thank him because he used us to provide for others and that he gets the praise we thank him for that the next result of obedient generous giving is that God will provide for your needs verse 6 says if you sow generously you'll reap generously in other words if you give generously you'll receive generously God will provide for your needs verse 10 says that he who supplied seed for the sower and bread for food will also increase your store of food, your store of seed. He will provide. That's a result. If I obediently give the, the seed that God's already provided, he will give back so that it meets my needs and so that I can give more. So God gets praised. He gives thanks. He will provide. And finally, you get to grow. You get to grow in righteousness. And notice we don't say your bank account grows. That may or may not be the result. But your righteousness will grow. You'll grow as you continue to give to him, which is the right thing. He'll give you the ability to give more. You'll grow in righteousness. Now, I know that was a lot today. Uh, maybe you grew up like I did, hearing about the 10% tithe, the storehouse, and the tithes and the offerings and God opening floodgates of blessings and, and maybe this is all new and I just want to say if you're struggling with this a little bit encourage you to dig into God's word test and approve and make sure that what I'm telling you this morning is really true and I, I, I'm pretty sure you'll find that biblical giving giving back to God is generous it's willing it's thoughtful and prayerful it's proportionate sometimes sacrificial it's joyful and it's trusting him. And as you grow, or as you give, you will grow. As you give, God gets thanks and praise. And as you give, God will provide. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we look at you as the giver of all good things. You're our provider. 
we want to be obedient to you in every way. It includes our giving. Thank you for the good gift of eternal life, the good gift of your son Jesus, a sacrificial gift. Um, help us, God, to give back to you proportionately and uh, with joy and generous in all these different ways. And Father, we pray that you would use what we give to, to make disciples, to advance your kingdom, that there be a good return on investment, Father. We pray, Father, that you would get the glory, you would get the praise, you would get the thanks because of the giving, and we just want to grow. We ask you to provide for our needs, Lord. We know that in our church, different people have different needs. Um, there's different um, income levels and means levels. We pray you would provide, Lord, for each one of us. And we're going to ask, Lord, provide abundantly for us so that we can give abundantly back to you and store up treasure in heaven that way, grow that way, give thanks and praise to you that way, and help other people that way, Lord. We ask you to please do that for us. All of that, Lord, for your glory. We thank you.